Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott, a life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. G'day everybody and welcome to episode 23 of Inside the Ropes. Great to have your company wherever you are listening across the globe. My name is Daniel Harf and I'm filling in for Andy Marr today who's out there just doing his thing. I don't know what he's doing but he's doing something which means I'm in the chair for the next hour or so. Looking forward to it being part of the golf fraternity for the next hour and joining two luminaries from the game. Joe Charlton from Golf Victoria joins us again. G'day, Joe. Thanks, Harf. Thanks for having me back. I feel like I've been warming the bench for a while, cutting the oranges, but I'm back in. I'm looking forward to it. Well, there's no doubt they've called in the heavy hitters this week, Joe. So <laughs> that's why you're here. And the chief golf writer for Golf Australia, Martin Blake, is back with us. Gazelle, good morning. G'day. Uh, hello, Harf. Hello, Joe. And definitely not carrying the oranges, Joe. <laughs> Absolute star. Where's Hazy? Hazy's in New Zealand at the uh, Asia Pacific Amateur with half a dozen Australians playing over there. So he's just being the golf media manager, golf it's, Australian media manager. It's a real junket th- thing at the moment with Hazy, isn't it? Anywhere there's a trip, he's on board. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. He's, last week, uh, well, last week, incidentally, we were talking about him. He was up at Cathedral Lodge playing up oh, there. Oh, yes, I'm keen to get there. Opening of that course, so... Uh, he's doing it very tough, Hazel. <laughs> yeah, poor fella. Yeah, poor we'll fella. talk to him later, and we're going to do Craig Perry, aren't we? Yes, our road to the Open Series continues today with the 2007 champ, Craig Perry. Looking forward to chatting to Paz. He's, he's a great personality in golf. We don't hear from him much these days. He's been but, quiet. He doesn't play very much. I was talking to Joe about mm. this off-air. Uh, you know, a few senior tournaments, uh, stuff like that. Hasn't really played a PGA Tour event for quite a while. And but the 2007 Australian Open, uh, which is the one we're going to talk to him about today, which uh, was at the Oz, I was fortunate enough to be there, and it was a typical gutsy Craig Parry performance. He just ground him out just with that beautiful short game. So yeah. uh, he's a he's a terrific character and a real legend of Australian golf. So looking forward to that. That series has gone really well. No doubt, well, some of the best names in Australian golf, of course, and world golf uh, as winners of the Australian Open. So we are counting down, of course, to the Emirates Australian Open at Royal Sydney. Oh, sorry, at the Australian. Um, in about a, what are we, a couple of weeks' time. Less than a month. Mm. Less than a month, yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks' time. Mm. Yep. Looking End forward to that. Now, tell us. Now, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm sure you have been across this Tiger Woods thing on, <laughs> on social media in the last week or so. He's putting all these videos out there uh, of the drive, the, the full-fledged drive, and then we had this week we had uh, the stinger. What's he doing, Tiger? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I have I have no theory behind it. He's just sort of flirting with us, is he? The first week that he did it, the chipping, I said, "Oh, well, look, what's he carrying on with?" Because he's never <laughs> been a guy that's really, he's not, never been a really a guy that's kind of let the world into his life. So it kind no. of contradicts what he he normally would do. So a lot of very cynical people would say he's just uh, kind of keeping his sponsors satisfied and that, mm-hmm. that, he, that he actually can still pick up a golf club. But it has gone a bit further half in the last couple of weeks with some of these swings. Uh, you know, he, he actually is starting to look quite good. So, look, hopefully he can come back and play. Oh, we'd lo- I, I, I'd love to see him come back and play. I've said that before. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a way off. But it's interesting, on uh, Twitter this morning, we're recording this on Thursday, and Ian Baker-Finch, who also plays a bit of golf at Medalist in Florida where... Um, where Tiger plays most of his golf when he's fit and ready to go, uh, said that he saw him playing and that, that he looked quite good. So maybe a little comeback is not too far away, which, uh, you know, the the other theory, Joe, is that I heard uh, yesterday was from a, another very cynical golf writer in America. <laughs> what do you mean another? Are you the other one? No, it's not me. But <laughs> they were just saying, that, look, Tiger is just having a, having a lend of, of the media because they get so excited every time. You know, at the end of the day, it's just one shot. He's just showing us at a time. So, and everyone does get. There's no doubt. Everyone does get very wound up. But it's Tiger Woods. He does Absolutely. add so much value to the game, doesn't he? Look, yeah. I, do, I query whether he'll be able to compete with... He can't compete with the Justin Thomas and the, the Jordan Spieth, but he still does add a great deal of value, so it'll be wonderful to see him out there. But 
a big question mark for me still when he when he um, finally tees off. Now he did lose a little bit of that aura, didn't he? When he when he had the injuries and he came back and didn't go to plan, he lost that real tiger swagger and even just the leaderboard pressure that uh, the rest of the field felt mm-hmm. when when he was nearby on a Sunday afternoon particularly. People he lost used a bit to fall of that. Over, didn't they they did. Used to fall they over used to watch him up the board and they collapse and stop and he would just charge through and that's what that's why he was so good because not only did his game sit at the, the top level but his his presence intimidated all his opponents as well. Do you think that if he did come back, and you talk about Justin Thomas, Joe, and it's a good point, if he did come back, he'd be able to get that factor back into his game because he probably wouldn't be able to compete physically now, as, as Gazelle said. But that intimidation factor could be a significant part still in his armoury. Yeah, I, I, I agree to an extent, but I think the physicality of those young guys when they're hitting it so much further than him, I think mentally that will put him a step yeah. behind them still. That's, that's my, my take on it. And whether he'll have some bit of self-doubt as whether he can, can compete. But it is Tiger Woods. He's working as hard as, as he can to get back out there. So he does obviously have that self-belief. From what I heard half in the last year or so, when he, when he was playing a bit last year, the, the theory out there was that he felt that with his great short game and his unbelievable putting, yeah. that if he could get the ball in play in some shape or form, even if he wasn't as anywhere near as long as those those bombers, uh, that he could compete. But he, he just couldn't get his back right. So he's now had a, a disc removed. Uh, it's a big operation. I think, um, you know, Retief, Retief Goosen uh, had a very similar injury. And, and we've seen his career tail off uh, from an absolutely outstanding player. Yeah. So that's kind of the... It, it is a very serious injury. So, uh, look, it's great to see him... Uh, out there trying, and uh, you know it could could turn ugly if if he does break down again. It's not going to be too pretty, but uh, I'm sure he'll take it nice and slowly this time. He he has said himself that he he rushed it in previous occasions, so let's see if he takes a bit more slowly this time. So all the experts, when I was watching Tiger, he's making those comebacks. We were talking about his swing and how it's changed, and he was up and out way too early, way too often, and blocking everything out to the right. Um, have you seen anything in those videos he's released in the last week that perhaps, and he probably wasn't going flat chat. Um, that that perhaps he's adjusted that, and there is a much more tiger swing, so to speak. I probably I probably can't really comment on that. I um, just had a quick look at it um, before Ian Baker Finch has given him the the tick, but my expert I um, probably can't um, validate that. I don't think. Yeah, you wouldn't want to ask me about that. But uh, <laughs> having said that, it's not a violent golf swing, is it? It's yes. a, it's a protective. Mm. Uh, yeah, that, that's swing. right. Um, it's an easy swing, so uh, you wouldn't want to be swinging too hard. You wouldn't be swinging like Jason Day. Uh, with, when you've got had a disc removed from your back. And do you reckon, just on your cynical golf rider's friend um, that yeah. you were talking about before, do you reckon he would play that game, Tiger? Do you reckon he would get some, some sort of, of... amusement. Yeah, amusement out of the the commentary that surrounds those videos and what it might mean from a public perspective? Um, I'm more of a glass-half-full guy, so I, I'd like to think that he's trying to get back and the release of the videos is just for his fans. I, I hope, yeah. You mentioned Justin Thomas, Joe, before. Yeah. Uh, he continues his unbelievable streak. He starts to the 2018 season. It's just picked up from where it was in 2017. The CJ Cup last week at Three Bridges, he was enormous, wasn't he? These blokes don't slow down, do they? There's literally... I think he's having some time off now, but God, they're, just, they're machines. They just keep going and going. Well, the, the US season just wraps around, so they're, they're back up and running already. So he's already had a win in the new, the new season. And Mark Leishman uh, was runner-up in that event uh, Gee, he's worth he's worth some chat. I mean, he's he's a he's become a world world class player, Mark Leishman, in in this year, and he just keeps churning it out week after week. And uh, he easily could have won that, Joe. Oh, so easily. We talk about that the eagle putt on the seventy second. I think he had a, his opportunity again. Then was on the first playoff hole, didn't quite take that, and then unfortunately found the water on the, the second playoff hole. But you're right. Week in, week out, he, he's there, and um, the results are showing. And I think it's only a matter of time before he snaffles another one. So I think uh, people will focus on the fact that he hit one in the water. They've got to remember it's it's about a five twenty metre par five that hole, and it was playing back into the wind, mm. and it's straight over water, pin cut on the front. So it was a very difficult shot that he was taking on. But playing against Justin Thomas, what you can't just play safe in a playoff against Justin Thomas because you know he's going to blast it out there 340 yards off the tee and go for the green and possibly hit it close. So he was under pressure. He cracked in the end. But the fact that he's in that company... Uh, he's number twelve in the world now. He could be in the number. He could be in the top ten soon. He's he's playing good enough to be a top ten player right now. And uh, I should just mention half. He hasn't. Uh, a lot of people have been asking whether he's coming home uh, this summer for the for our events. Still in train. Uh, they're still talking about it. So they're very hopeful that that he will be either one or both the PGA 
and the uh, Emirates Australian Open. Not too sure yet. So yep. just depends a bit with family. He's got three young kids. He's had a very long year, as we've just discussed. So it's kind of still in train. Let, let's hope that he, he does come back. Well, his last eight tournaments, Alish, he's had a win, a second, a third, a tie for fifth, a tie for sixth, and a tie for 13th in the USPGA. So that's pretty good form. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty hot form from the leash. Are you surprised? I I, uh, I possibly didn't think he could get to this level. I, I did an interview with Dennis McDade, his coach, uh, about three years ago, where I asked, and I'd asked him specifically where he thought Leash could get to, and he said straight away, yeah, he's a top ten world player. Uh, and I sort of raised my eyebrows at the time, but there you go. He's he's on the on the cusp of it now, and he's really playing to that level, even though the the computer doesn't say he's in the top ten. He's risen, I think, 40-something spots this calendar year. So, and that's pretty hard to do. Mm. So, Yeah, he's not that typical A type of golfer that we look for, I suppose, these, these days. We've gone down that scientific avenue and you look yeah. at Jason Day and Adam Scott and they're like the purebreds. The athletes. Yeah, yeah, and he probably hasn't got that physicality, no offence, leash, but he doesn't mm. care. No. He, he's got his own formula and um, it's reaping the benefits. Yeah, I'm not well, sure I what you've got to find, your, find yourself, don't you, in, mm. in golf? Yeah. I mean, we talked to Craig Perry a little bit later on. He wasn't yeah. exactly a, an athlete. wasn't Usain Bolt out there on the golf course, but he, he knew his swing. He worked with it and, and found the strengths that he had and, and maximised that. And I don't think Lisa's any different. Mm, exactly. Justin Thomas, the other one, these last seven tournaments, just did some numbers on him. He's had three wins a second and a tie for six, five out of the seven. He's top six. So he's an extraordinary competitor. And you talked about um, not having a break. He said, interesting in his comments after, that he, he reckons he was running on empty mm. until yes. that very mm. final putt. He was yeah. absolutely cooked in yeah. the presentation. Yeah, he, he thanked his caddy, didn't he? Because he said he's been very grumpy. There's one, there's one, uh, one shot that Justin Thomas hit that just shows how really good this guy is. And that was after Leishman hit it in the water on the second playoff hole. So it's really game over. He can easily just pull out a seven iron and lay it up yeah, and then just wedge it on. And even if he takes a bogey, he's probably going to going to win the playoff. No, pulled out the fairway wood, hit it straight over. Didn't get it on the green, but just on the front of the green. That, that was a, a gutsy... Shot and that was a shot of a guy who said, "Nah, I'm going. I'm going for this. I'm I'm happy to do it. I'm good enough to do it." And he did it. Yeah, and with that track record, he, he's probably full of confidence. As Cameron as Smith, we, who, said. Uh, half was, we yeah. shouldn't forget Cameron Smith finished third. But I shot behind uh, Thomas and Leishman, and, and again, he's another guy that when he puts himself in contention, he he gets really in contention. He's, hot. he's had a third, a fifth, a seventh, a twelfth at the BMW. Um, before the end of the season, he, he missed two cuts. So he's either really, really good or he's a little bit off. So he's just finding that level of consistency at the moment, isn't he? Watch out for him uh, in our tournaments at home this year because he's really growing, that guy. And uh, just a very calm, quiet guy. He's never done much media. I had a bit of a chat to him last year at the Open. And he had his dad on the bag and he, he said, yeah, I don't like doing much media. He's just, he's just very much under the radar. But he's a super young player. And he, he had a putt on the 18th last week in, in regulation for birdie that would have put him in the in the playoff. He made a playoff at the Open last year and Spieth buried him with a birdie on, yeah. the, on the playoff hole. So uh, he'd be a guy that could win the Open this year at the Australian, Cameron well, Smith. Certainly seems to believe in his ability and believe him. he belongs out there on, on tour now, which I think is one of the great challenges for anyone once they get there is to believe you can perform and, and compete at that level. And he seems to be a guy that's very comfortable in his skin. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think that transition from amateur to professional, you see so many slip through the, the cracks there. And um, no, he's really blossomed. And yeah, mm. he's going to be one to watch. What did you make of the two big names before we move on from this tournament? Adam Scott was even through uh, his 72 holes and Jason Day four under. Did you see much of those boys in um, action? Yes. Uh, Jason Day finished in the top 10, which is a good sign. I think he's just starting to rally. Jason, he's had a quiet year, uh, but a difficult year with his mother being ill and that sort of stuff. I've got no doubt that that's had an impact on him. Uh, but he's he's through that now. His mother's... Uh, you know, recovered a little bit and feeling much better. So I think that Jason will play okay at the Open when he comes back. Uh, Scotty's a bit of a worry. He's he's very flat at the moment. He, again, uh, wife Marie had a baby back here in Australia. He came home, missed the end of the season, had to decline a few events. So he's had a kind of an interrupted year on a personal level. So uh, not really going his best, yeah, Scotty, think, at the moment. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, just mm. competing priorities for, for both boys. Yeah. 
fair enough too. Mm. Fair One enough. of the other superstars of global golf, Sergio Garcia, uh, won his own tournament. Yeah, he won at Valderrama. Is there betting on that? <laughs> you win your own tournament. It's like did a shark you see shooter. The uh, shot that he hit on the on the seventy uh, second hole. He had a you know a mid iron or something like that, or short iron into the the green, and his back foot slipped completely, slipped from under him as he hit it. Hit it to about eight feet. <laughs> <laughs> what a great ball striker! He's he's coming home to play the. Uh, don't forget playing the Australian PGA Championship at the start of December at uh, Royal Pines as well. So the crowds will be up for that. Wade Ormsby finished fifth in that event. Yes, good performance by Wade. And Scriv too at tied 27th. He was the other Aussie to make the cut. Mm. But yeah, Ormsby's had a, he's had a really consistent year too. Solid Wade. player. Solid, yeah. really solid. Mm. Technically very sound. Is he? Yeah, very, very sound. Well, if you've got that to fall back on, I think you're halfway there. What about Stephen Lenny? You should mention him too. Was he sixth WA Open across the weekend? Yeah, yeah. breaking a 13-year drought. Yeah, a big gap, mm. wasn't it? That's, That's a big gap. Yeah. That's a generation. Of, well, yeah, it is a generation. Yeah, in golf. Don- he dominated that event. Yeah, yeah. Stephen, you know, he finished second in the US Open one year. He can seriously play. Mm. But he came back from uh, America and now he just plays at home. So can't expect to sort of compete at the very, very highest level. But it, it, certainly at that level, he's an excellent player. And the uh, Queensland Open is on this week. Uh, half and, and Joe at Brisbane Golf Club, 110 grand event. Brett Coletta defending there, who you would have had a bit to do with Brett Coletta, who won that last year as an amateur, yeah? Yeah, yeah. as an amateur and turned pro. He's had a golf. tough year, just, hasn't he? Yeah, and I, I read just really quickly yesterday that um, he pulled out of the Pro-Am with um, some sort of injury concern. He's right. still in the draw, so yeah. I'm assuming he's teeing it up today. He hasn't okay. teed off yet. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, Brady is a super talent. I was through the... Uh, went through the VIS squad uh, with Breddy, and when he when he walked in, he was um, hands down probably the best athlete that our strength and conditioning wow. coaches had had seen for for a Is long that time. Right? Wow. Yeah, Mike v- very limber too. He's he's quite. He, he doesn't look that strong. He looks like a really lean, flexible sort of uh, bloke, but he's just super strong. Could have played AFL. Probably could have played cricket. He, Oh, he's, he's one of those he's guys. One of he's those. that guy. Yeah, he's that guy. Oh, I hate that guy. And he's a nice boy too. <laughs> I think, I think you are that guy. Hey, LPGA, uh, Unhee G from Korea won it by six, I believe, uh, last week. Lydia Ko was interesting. She's had a, a quiet year by mm. her standards, but she finished second, so maybe she's finally turning it around. I think Minji Lee finished in the top 20 again. She's just a money-making machine. She sure Perth. is. Check Your out life. these stats for, for the winner. Putting average, 27.75. Fairways hit, 75%. Greens in reg, 79%. 79%. That's a good Equals six-shot lead. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's Unbelievable. Pretty yeah. <laughs> the Koreans, they if know how we, to do it. If only we could hit 79% of greens, half. <laughs> I just want to hit the <laughs> ball the game 79 easy. times. Hit the centre of the club. Somewhere near 79 <laughs> times for the round to be okay. That's all I need. That's all we need. Just on before we go uh, and get to Craig Perry, we're going to get to very shortly. Ryan Ruffles, I saw him in the field for the CJ Open. He finished 14 mm. over. He talked about a uh, tough year for for Brett Coletta. How's Ryan Ruffles travelling over there? No, exactly the same as Brett. He's you know he's ter- he turned pro quite early, Ryan, because he was such an exceptional amateur, won the World Junior, all that sort of stuff. But he's he's hit struggle street. You know he's been getting a few sponsors invites. That would have been a sponsor's invitation to play, but he didn't didn't play particularly well. You don't see him on TV, so it's hard. Hard to know. He's been playing down a little bit on the uh, PGA Latino tour, trying to get his way into the web.com. Right. Uh, and I'm not quite sure what his status is there, but he just hasn't really fired too many shots at the moment. A very typical story of a young pro just, you know, starting out. Uh, you know, Ollie Goss is another one that's yeah. been a bit like that. And even Nathan Holman's another one, a uh, good Victorian player, won the uh, Vic, uh, Australian PGA a couple of years ago, just hasn't really fired too much in Europe. It's hard, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, I think. Rough, I felt like he had the world on his shoulders. Like yeah. he, he went over there on the PGA Tour, had X amount of starts, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, he's on He'll his way. Yeah. <laughs> the reality was, I think, I may not get this right, but it was like 10 starts, and he had to make like 800 grand or something. This yeah. is an 18-year-old kid that we're talking about. Yeah. Like the expectations yeah. were huge. So it hasn't really probably surprised me personally, and I think Rough has got the, the mental capacity and the calmness and um, the maturity that – We'll see him through this transition, um, and I'm sure we'll see him back at the top of the game again. But I think, yeah, he jumped or he leaped over, you know, a fair few steps that people sort of gather momentum yes. through to, to reach the pinnacle. He went, he went straight to the top, and it was, it was a, it was hard for him. Mm.
It's never easy the transition. He'll be back. Ryan Ruffles, hopefully very, very soon on the tours across the globe. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com.au. Hello, I'm Travis Smyth. This October is Golf Month and the perfect opportunity to share the golf club with your mates. Get around it. As I mentioned earlier, the Emirates Australian Open not too far away from the Australian Golf Club and take your mind back 10 years to the 2007 edition and you would remember that Craig Parry took out his first Australian Open. He joins us on our Road to the Open series again on Inside the Ropes. G'day, Craig. Good afternoon. Great to have you on board, mate. 2007, 10 years ago? Does it seem that long ago? No, it really doesn't. I mean, time's gone pretty quick um, you know, since I've won and you know, it, it just seems like yesterday. And it was a pretty dramatic sort of uh, couple of days too. I think you started with a seventy-four, I think, to to open the batting, and then Friday came and sixty-four came away. What was the what was the difference from the Thursday to the Friday? It was really the putting. Uh, I remember holding a lot of putts in the second round, and the, the wind come up and uh, the score but got better as the day went on because uh, obviously the scores blew out in the afternoon a little bit. Paz, it's Blakey here. Uh, how were the nerves? Because you know it was a, it was kind of a missing part of the jigsaw for you. You were forty one years of age at the time. I can remember you had stopped playing in America, basically, and you was, I think you were playing in Japan at the time. Uh, so you were kind of getting towards, I guess, the the latter half of your career or latter third of your career. You know, were you, were you nervous towards the end? Um, not so much nervous. It was, as you say, it was one of the the parts of my resume that I hadn't actually won the Aussie Open. I'd lost the playoff to John Moore at the Australian in 1990. Uh, I finished in the top three probably eight times. I haven't missed an Australian Open since I think it's about 89. So actually, sorry, 84 uh, when Tom Watson was uh, the champion at Royal Melbourne. So I was leading amateur that year. So I haven't missed an Open since 84. So obviously it's one of the events that, you know, I, I think is very high in uh, Australian golf, if not the highest accolade you can win. So coming into this year, you, you speak about 1990 where you were runner-up in a playoff and then winning 2007 at the Aussie. You, you must have a bit of a twinkle in your eye coming into this year. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm actually at the Australian right now, believe it or not. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm on the practice fairway, um, just getting ready for the tournament coming up. And, uh, you know, it's always great coming out to the Aussie and, and you know, being able to use the facilities they, they made Myself, uh, Bob Shearer, Peter Lonard and Adam Scott, all honorary members, which is absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great club to be a part of. I can remember on that last day a couple of things, Paz, uh, at, at the Australian that, that particular year. You shot 69, but I remember you made a, a massive, I think it was a par save at the 17th that really won, almost won it for you. And the yeah, second that's... thing I wanted to ask you about was I can remember you talking afterwards. You had your wife, Jenny, there and... Um, your kids were there, and you were actually able to celebrate. It was probably the first time you'd been able to celebrate with your kids were, were able to sort of understand what, what Daddy did, you know. Yeah, that's right. I mean, obviously, I've been, you know, travelling for, you know, since 85, uh, always on the road. And, you know, the kids, you know, they know that I'm a professional golfer. This is 10 years ago. And the youngest was 10 at the time, and the oldest was 15. And, uh, you know, to win the National Open... And to be able to go home, which is only about half an hour away, and, you know, really celebrate it, because it was the last tournament of the year as well. So, uh, you know, we, we made the most of having uh, the Stonehaven Cup in, at our house. <laughs> Where'd you put the Stonehaven Cup? Where did it sit? Uh, it was always on show. Um, <laughs> we, we had plenty of uh, alcohol out of it. You know, the worst part of, you know, drinking out of the Stonehaven Cup, if there can be a, a bad part, it's actually champagne because it goes up your nose. <laughs> Beer, wine, red wine, white wine's all good, but uh, the champagne, you know, that, that, that's not so good. I can't see you uh, indulging pretty... too much champagne, Paz. Well, when you win an Aussie Open, you, you can afford to crack a couple. <laughs> <laughs> I presume you've got a, a replica because Greg Chalmers we spoke to last week and he said that when he won his first one, uh, you had to buy the replica, but Golf Australia has fortunately come good now and they, they do come good with a, a replica. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, uh, you know, it might be the replica, but as far as I'm concerned, it's the real thing. There was a bit of drama, too, um, uh, unfolding throughout that Sunday of 2007 Australian Open. And Were you aware of the Brant Seneca situation where he called the penalty on himself and cost himself two shots? No, I, I wasn't aware of it until later on. Uh, you know, but that's the type of guy Brand is. I mean, and, that, and that's one of the, the, the great things about our, our sport. You know, mm. we call penalties on ourselves rather than having an umpire to come in and say, look, you, you're out, not out, you know, trying to get away with everything. <laughs> well, that was a big call by him. It cost him the tournament at the end. Or put a, would have put him in contention for a playoff with you had he had he done that. Paz, you had a great career. Uh, you know, you, you almost won the Masters one year, and you, you had a very great moment that I'm going to play you a little bit of audio of for a moment. <laughs> That's from uh, the Ford Open at Doral in 2004, as you well know. Does that still bring uh, you know the hair up on, on the back of your neck? Yeah, I mean, that's another great moment in my career. Um, you know, I played the Champions Tour over the last couple of years and a lot of people come up to me and said, oh, I was watching the golf, I was such and such a place. And, you know, they can remember it very quickly as well. But, you know, the, the thing about Doral is the Australians have actually played well over there in, in the past and, you know, it's a... A windy city, Miami, and uh, the, the golf course really favoured the Aussies. Norman won there, Elkington won there, and, uh, you know, obviously I won there. But, uh, you know, the, the wind was downwind on the 18th hole, which is very rare, normally playing into. And uh, Scott Verplank hit a very good shot into the green, which forced me to go at the flag. And, you know, normally the first player would probably hit it in the bunker, just being a bit more... Um, conservative with his approach into the green, and uh, you know that dictated, you know, the shot that I had to play. Poor old Scott Plank. He, uh, <laughs> it was a walk-off eagle, wasn't it? Because it's a playoff, so he'd already hit, and you're in the hole. So uh, he, he looked uh, absolutely devastated. Yeah. Well, the thing is that the, the winner's prize was a uh, GT40, and uh, you know all the, all the golfers they're, they're petrol heads, and I'm not a petrol head at all. So as far as I was concerned, you know, it was great to have a, a GT40 as a winner's prize, but, you know, it didn't really, you know, um, get me excited as far as, OK, we've got a car coming to us, but it was a fantastic car, having said that, and uh, we ended up getting rid of it and uh, selling it <laughs> off to Austria. I think the uh, prize money was up around the, the million, but I wanted you to tell me, a, retell me a, a little anecdote that I know is basically true because I've asked you about it before. I heard you speak about it at a lunch. I think after you won that, you went back to Sydney and you were, at the time, you and Jenny were looking for a nice waterfront property and you, you waltzed into a, a very sort of ritzy uh, real estate agent, I think, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and you, you're not probably without being unfair, not necessarily the most sartorial bloke, and I think you might have had a pair of stubby shorts on and a pair of thongs, <laughs> and you said, I'm looking for uh, some, some waterfront property, and th- they weren't exactly that receptive. Is, is that right? Yeah, that, that was in the late 80s. Uh, oh, I had right, okay. a really good, really good year in uh, Europe. I finished third on the Order of Merit over there. I played well in Japan, and I played well here in Australia, and we'd just gone through the financial crisis, and... Uh, you know, me coming back to Australia, I thought, oh, we'll just have a look at some waterfronts along, you know, the, the, the Sydney Harbour, and we go out New South Head Road and look, looking outside the, the real estate, not even inside, and the guy walks out and he says, uh, look, you can't afford it. And I thought, well, <laughs> I probably can afford it, and then ended up going home and uh, back out to the west and, and bought a waterfront the next day, so... <laughs> You know, he, he lost his commission. <laughs> Proved him <laughs> wrong. <I'll teach> you. <laughs> so you obviously love coming home. You're at home now, as you said. You're at the Aussie um, having yep. having a practice. Um, yep. In your view, what is the future of golf in, in, in Australia from a tournament perspective? Uh, look, I mean, if we can have a couple of really big tournaments that attract the best players in the world, that's all we can really ask for. Uh, it, it's very difficult to get the guys to come back and play. You know, they have to secure their spots overseas where they're playing for many millions of dollars every week or, or euros for that matter um you know as long as the guys come back and support occasionally that's all we can really ask for and you know we're up against all the other sports you know footy cricket tennis the whole the whole uh, range of all other professional sports so i think we do very well is it true uh paz when you you led the masters into the final round in 1992 you played in the last group with 
Freddie Couples, who's an amazingly popular player, as we all know. Uh, Mike Clayton asked me to ask you about that last round because I know that you've said over the years the crowd or the patrons weren't particularly kind to you. And I think I spoke to you about this once and you sort of said uh, it was amazing how many patrons had colds and kept sneezing and tripping over and that sort of that, that day. They weren't very kind to you in truth, were they? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it goes back to the, the days. I mean, that was in 92. Davis Love had the same situation in the LA Open uh, with Fred in, in a playoff and, 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 sorry, in the last round. And uh, Davis actually come up to me the, the following week and he said, look, you know, don't take it personal. He said, it's not an America versus Australia or anything like that. He said, it's just the, the, the way the fans are with Fred. Did you almost lose it that day? Did you sort of engage with any of the fans? Because it really did bother you, didn't you? You shot 78 and, and fell away. No, I, I actually um, didn't lose it with the fans. I mean, I got obviously a little bit frustrated with what they were doing, but I didn't actually have a one-on-one altercation with any, any of the fans. Um, my wife, she she had a, a couple of arguments with some of the fans that were moving around, and, and you know, that wasn't good. Um in the future, they were going to. Well, they, they they stopped the beer sales by one hour, and the following year at the international dinner, they were actually. I sat next to the head of security and had a beer sales, and they said, "Okay, so what happened?" And I had to tell them what happened the, the previous year, and they were contemplating uh, stopping all beer sales the, the following year if it happened again. So. At least the Augusta were, were trying to stay on top of it. We saw this only, like, only a few weeks ago at the President's Cup again when the Yank crowd were rooting for Hadwin's ball to get in the water. Like, I, if, I, if I was around, I would have been escorting them out. I don't think... like It's, um, it's a game of integrity, um, and you obviously in that moment of time were the bigger person, and, and kudos to you, but it must have been... Um, you must have been pretty shocked by it uh, at the time as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, you are shocked by, you know, what the, the crowd do do. And, but it's just one of those things. If I had actually had a President's Cup under my belt, I probably would have been able to handle it a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the good things about having the President's Cup. You know, the guys get to, you know, feel what's going to happen when they're going down the stretch in a major, especially if it's in America. So you won 23 tournaments, Craig, or professional tournaments throughout your career and in contention many other times. But was that Sunday at Augusta the most anxious you'd been? Uh, it probably was. It, it, right up there. I, I felt as though I was playing really well at the time. And if you look back at the, the, the highlights of the whole round, I've got the whole round at home, you can see that I actually kept it under the whole for the entire tournament or the entire round. Which is very hard to do at Augusta. You know, gave myself the, the best opportunities, but I had three three putts in a row, um, three four five. Not that I remember it real clear, but it was three four five, and, <laughs> and um, you know that put me behind the eight ball. But uh, you know, it was one of those things that it was a learning experience. There was no question about that in my career. But then I also had one at uh, the Open Championship in '99 with John Vandervelt. You know, I, I had a yeah, you're a one, shot group, lead with, one shot lead with ten to, well, eight to go, and I made a triple, a double, and a bogey on the back nine and lost by a shot. So, you know, I felt as though that was the one that actually got away from me. And what about Freddie Couples' ball at uh, Augusta? It had a bit of Velcro on it and didn't run down the into the Rays Creek at the 12th. How, how did that happen? Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, Honestly? what happened, the, 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 we had a lot of rain the day before on the Saturday, and uh, we were... Um, the race creek had actually risen and, you know, the ground had got a lot softer and then on the Sunday the, the creek had gone back down but the ground was still, you know, very soft and that's what happened to his ball. It went into the bank and it just popped up and he was able to chip it on the green and make his putt for par. I wanted to ask you about Tiger, Craig, because you had quite a good relationship with him over the years. I know for a fact that he, he did ask you for advice about short game at different times, which is quite a nice thing to have on your, your career summary, isn't it, that one of the greatest players ever did that, uh, but there was a video yesterday of him hitting his famous stinger shot uh, out at a medalist or somewhere like that. Uh, it came out yesterday. It's caused a bit of commotion, but someone, uh, one of the Australian golf riders tweeted that you kind of taught him that shot, which I'm not sure whether that's exactly true, but it, it, I think it is true that in 99 at Canoostie, uh he played in your group, didn't he? And you were hitting low balls under the wind, and he, I think he asked you about it later on. Yeah, that's correct. That was in 99. Um, 
you know, I was hitting one iron off the tee. Putting so you taught him, is that right? <laughs> What's that, sorry? You taught him. Well, he's very observant. Um, <laughs> you know, he, want, he wanted to know how to do it. And, you know, growing up in uh, Western Australia, well, I was grew up in Victoria, but then went to Western Australia, which is very windy. I, I learned how to play that shot over in WA. And, uh, you know, that was the reason I was actually able to hit that shot in the open. Well, he's very thankful for that too, Craig. I'm sure he sends you Christmas cards every year after what it sort of did for his game. Well, the, the thing is with Tiger, I mean, he's very observant. You know, he, he watches what, you know, guys do all the time and he, he, he's always asking questions. He's not afraid to ask questions and that was one of the, the probably the best things about Tiger and why he learnt so much over the years. You know, he always went up to the guys, okay, how'd you do that? What did you do? And, uh, you know, I think that's a great trait. Do you reckon he'll get back just on those videos? Would you think he'd want to get back, or is this just Tiger just trying to get some a little bit of emotion going in the golf public? Oh, look, Tiger would, you know, he wants to get back and play. You know, that's all he's ever wanted to do is play golf. I mean, I remember speaking to him about, you know, kids playing golf. When he was five years old, he had to work out how to get from his home to the golf tournament, you know, the directions, you know, read a map, you know, book hotels and things like that when he was very young. So, you know, his parents made him, you know, do the work rather than them pushing him. You know, he, he was the one that was always behind it. And can I just ask you too about the President's Cup? You referenced that before and what it was able to do for you as a golfer. We've had the recent edition here where um, the internationals got pantsed by the US and it was a pretty vibrant discussion on Inside the Ropes a couple of weeks back between the team and how do we make it relevant again or how do we make it a, a, bigger, a better contest? Have you got any thoughts on, on the future of the President's Cup and what it could be? Yeah, we win and then the Americans <laughs> will get the desire back again. I think with the international team, it is a little bit harder to get everyone together. However, I think, you know, the team that, that Peter Thompson captained when we won at Royal Melbourne, everyone was at one. You know, there weren't individual players in that team. You know, everyone was on the same page. And I think that's what it's got to get back to. I mean, we have got the team to win a President's Cup. And hopefully when it does come back to Australia... Our guys can win it. And you're at the Australian at the moment. So is it still as beautiful as it was in 2007, or is it was, does it seem a bit sunnier when you win the tournament? Uh, look, the sun is shining. But we've got a big cloud coming through this afternoon, a massive storm. They're just getting all the uh, grandstands and all the marquees put up at the moment. The course looks amazing, and it's going to show up fantastic. Yeah, we're very excited about that. Only a couple of weeks away, Craig. And always great to chat to you. Uh, we appreciate you taking us down memory lane and giving us a bit of your time today on Inside the Ropes. Thank you. All right. No worries, guys. Have a good day. Well, the, Craig Parry with us, the 2007 winner of the Emirates Australian Open. Good chat. What a good man. G'day. I'm my golf ambassador, Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment. And just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. G'day, I'm Greg Chalmers. I'm a long way from home here in Dallas, Texas, but I love catching up with all the Aussie golf news on Inside the Rugby. One of the big tournaments from the Asian Pacific Amateur perspective is, of course, the Asian Pacific Amateur Championship team. And uh, our man Mark Hayes, Golf Australia's own superstar, is on the junket train. And he's over there at the moment at the Royal Wellington Golf Club watching six of our finest young golfers hopefully win a spot to Augusta in the British Open or the Open Championship. And Hazy has been good enough to join us mid-beer, I'm sure. G'day, Hazy. <laughs> oh, just got to put down the pie, the gravy, and, uh, and the chewy beer over here and, and have a chat to you guys. Very, very happy to do so. You've, you've, just, come, you've just come from the gym, Hazy? Uh, I've, run, I've run about 25 kilometres this morning, pumped a few weights, Blakey, and then uh, I, I should be right to talk to you now. I think I've got the fitness to get through this double cross. Now, this is a huge event, isn't it? Uh, it's, a, it's a relatively new event. I'm not sure how, what number this is in the sequence, but, uh, you know, obviously the spot in the Masters to the winner and also the Open Championship, which everyone seems to forget for some reason, but that's been added in the last couple of years, that's, hasn't it? Yeah, that's been added this year for the first time and it's mm. full, full sense, so it's a, it's a double-barrel prize. And, yeah, it's a little bit understated um, in, in terms of its global appeal, but it's a massive deal in this region now and it's only going to get bigger, not only because of the prizes, but 
the honour roll that you talk about, this is its ninth year. The previous eight have had um, already, you know, we obviously know Curtis like last year and we had Antonio Madaka a few years ago, but Hideki Matsuyama is a two-time winner and a couple of Chinese guys have won and made a real fist of it at, at the Masters. They're both back here this year. So it's, you know, it's a growing event and a huge importance. There's 41 countries in the Gulf Confederation now. Uh, so it's really growing in importance. I just listened to someone talk before and they just said, you know, it's just the thing to put golf on the map in our region. How does it compare to the other events, Hazy, um, in terms of for our boys? Like, how does it compare for them? What, what, what does it mean to them? Because you've got the British Am and the, the US Am, and obviously they mean a, a great deal. But what about this event? Yeah, I think historically, Joe, I think the, one, the ones you mentioned, particularly the US Am, is the one that they all grow up sort of wanting to win. But in terms of... Um, opportunities that can mm. be gained against a, a field that doesn't contain any of the top European or American players. This is something that's becoming increasingly important for them to, to focus in on. Uh, and I, we also learned today that there's going to be a women's one uh, early next year in, in Singapore. So there's going to be the chance for, I'm not sure what the prizes are going to be on offer, but the girls are going to get the same incentive too. And that's it's a massive boost because we came so close on a couple of occasions of getting guys through, and girls for that matter, through via the US Amateur um, in the last couple of years. Curtis Luck obviously did get to the Masters, but uh, this is the one chance where we can really sort of stand up and possibly throw a weight around even. I know the two winners from Australia so far that I've mentioned, there's been two from Japan, two from Korea, and two from China. Big hope for the New Zealanders here this week. They've got a lot of uh, potential winners, a couple on their home course. I think real, I might talk about that a bit more in a second, but the reality is it's five or six countries really dueling it out here for a spot for a shot at the green jacket. Yeah, you mentioned there we've had a couple of past winners in Luck and, and Madaka. It's some great history for our boys. Has that given them a lot of confidence going into this week? Definitely watching Curtis last year and Brett Coletta, uh, and for that matter Cam Davis, uh, I think finished fourth, and there was a New Zealander in third. And I think that really gave them a shot of confidence, Joe, in, in terms of being able to say our best is as good as there is going around in this region. So, um, you know, that was on home soil for a couple of the Korean kids who had a lot of promise, obviously not far from Japan, and that just shows our guys that if Curtis can do that and dominate and then have a really good year and progress up to the web.com tour already, you know, things are starting to lay out in front of them. Hazy, uh, tell us a bit about the Australian team. Four from New South Wales, which is a, a really big tick to the uh, programs of the elite programs of New South Wales. Sounds get, like cricket to me. To get four in, maybe, maybe they just give them a give them a shirt uh, like they get a get a baggy, baggy green. green with the blue. No, <laughs> no that, that's excellent, isn't it? Travis Smite's an absolute beauty, uh, you know. And and sh- from Queensland, Shay Wool's Cobb, which I, I don't know much about him. I know he's from the Sunshine Coast. Um, but he's on fire today, isn't he? Um, maybe he is. Seven uh, under only, only, only three um, New South Welshmen. Oh, three, okay. Dylan, yeah, Dylan Perry, um, who's... Oh, oh, he's now uh, Queenslander, is he? Yeah, he's, no, he's Hunter Valley, but he's based yeah. on the Gold Coast now, yeah. but he's still playing for New South Wales. There's uh, Harrison Endicott and Travis Smith. Travis is the lowest-ranked player in the field here in the world rankings. Um, the man bun. The we call him the man bunder. <laughs> That's it, the man bun. He's the best man bun operator, both on and off the course you've ever seen, guys. Oh, right. And Minwoo Lee is obviously Minji Lee's uh, brother, younger brother. And we, uh, you and I have both been very excited about watching him. As he's a great player to watch, isn't he? If he can ever kind of iron out the bumps in his game, he, he's he's got real, real X factor, hasn't he? Oh, one of the biggest X factors I've seen in, in golf period, whether it's amateur or professional. He's unbelievable. The shots that he's got in his bag, he can just harness a bit of golf craft as the years goes on as the years go on he's going to be you know just a name that we're going to be shouting from the rooftops um the other ones are charlie dan from queensland and as you mentioned shay wolves cobb uh as we're recording this i'm actually watching shay play and you know going to be dependent upon when people are listening but right now he's nine under through 14 holes wow. in the first round and the thing that's setting him apart doesn't probably hit the ball as well he'd be the first to tell you as some of his australian teammates here but it is extraordinary what he does around the greens, and we, you know, we were talking about that in terms of the Presidents Cup, where the Americans, you know, beat up on us. They're just better around the greens. And Shea Wolves Cobb's putter, seriously, if it was if it was blowing a little bit faster here, it'd be dangerous for a bushfire. It is absolutely <laughs> blazing hot. He cannot miss. It's extraordinary. So, what about the conditions then, Hazy? Well, Wellington is normally a fairly windy city, Chicago style. Um, what, what are we expecting across the weekend? Stand a bit blustery in the in the phone at the moment. 
Yeah, it's meant to be like really good. Apparently, half it was a like horrendous wet winter here, and the course was sort of a bit lush and a bit even wet uh, a couple of weeks ago. But it's dried out okay. The wind could do anything on any given moment. It's perfectly still right now. Expected to blow forty knots later this afternoon. Uh, we're recording around lunchtime New Zealand time on on Thursday. Uh, it really is. It's like Melbourne. It's four seasons in a day. Uh, I think the extremes with the wind are, are much much greater. Um, one of the things playing the advantage of scoring right now is uh, obviously the softer conditions and the lack of wind, but um, the course is set up. So there are a couple of countries here that, let's, let's face it, haven't got the experience at this level, uh, and the course is set up not to gobble them up. So we are seeing some pretty good scores from the guys that we're used to playing on harder setups. And the, the course itself, can you liken it to something that we might know over here, just the layout and the, the look of the course? Uh, it's, very, it's a parkland course half. It's, um, it's got a lot of trees on it. Uh, it's set in a beautiful valley, mountains on either side. The, na- the fairways are fairly narrow. I'd suggest um, for those who went to the Western Australian Open last week, it was actually a little bit similar size-wise to Royal Perth. So it puts a premium on driving. Um, for those who can keep the ball in play here are going to be favourite to sort of shoot a good score. Um, but it's, not, it's nothing like... I think that it's got that sort of more English feel about it than any courses at home. It's got that sort of... Just like New Zealand generally, I think it's it's a lot wetter and greener than anything we have realistically. Are there any sheep rolling around? <laughs> Haven't seen any sheep at the moment, but then I saw a couple of smiles on a couple of the New Zealand coaches' faces. Oh, I don't want to say too much. Oh, Hazy. Hazy, uh, Hazy uh, I just want you to update me on the Bhutan competitor because you said there's 41 countries. There's 39 teams represented, I, I believe, and... I looked this up yesterday. There's one golf course in Bhutan. So can you just update us on that competitor? No, I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> I actually did a story when the, the uh, Asia-Pacific Am was here in Melbourne a few years ago. They asked me to – I was working for the tournament website and they asked me to do a story on the two guys from Bhutan who were playing. And it was a, it was a great little thing to do. I mean, it's, it's one of the great things about this event. I mean, obviously Australia put in – Hazy, a, a fantastic team in New Zealand as well, and some of the other countries. Korea very take it very seriously, and then there's other people there that are kind of there for the experience, really. Yeah, I just sat in on a big press conference, Blakey, where uh, the last country to join the Asia Pacific Golf Confederation is, is actually Iraq, and the press conference was, um, you know, all the, the head honchos from the Masters and the RNA and everyone else is involved, but. One of the questions from an Iraqi journalist, because there was a, one guy who'd actually qualified in here to play, um, was why, why he couldn't get in. He was denied a visa at the New Zealand um, Customs, oh. by the New Zealand yeah. Customs. And it was quite a good talking point in the press mm. conference. Pretty sad, realistically, to think that mm. one guy from a mm. country like Iraq can't be given a green light to come in and play 72 holes a goal, regardless of his score. But, you know, that, that's what it's all about in some senses. I mean, obviously, at our end of the scale, there's guys who are trying to get to the Masters. But at that end of the scale, it really is about developing growing, goals and growing the trying game. to put it on the map. Yeah. Well, your man, Eugen Dorji, uh, yet to tee off, too, from Bhutan uh, Gazelle. So I can, yeah. I can tell you that's going to be at the moment. Just keep an eye on him. Uh, Eugen Dorji, John Dorji's brother. He used to play for basketball for the Magic or the Spectres or something. <laughs> Hazy, uh, we know you've got a corona with your name on it. We won't hold you up any further, mate. Good luck. Uh, hope the boys go really well. Looking forward to seeing what happens with um, with Shea Walls-Cobb, who's rocketing up the leaderboard or owns a leaderboard at the moment through the weekend. But appreciate your time, buddy. We'll chat soon. Good on you guys and girls. Thanks for uh, holding the fort in there. Just doing what we can. Mark Hayes, Golf Australia Media Manager over there at the Royal Wellington Golf Club for the Asia-Pacific Amateur Championship. And as he mentioned, Shea Walls-Cobb, 9 under through 16, leads Min Wu Lee at the moment, who's 5 under through 14 in the first round as we record this. So hopefully that continues Great to on. See. Great to see. Yes, go boys. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf.
Hey, I'm Catherine Kirk, and I want to encourage all the young gals and ladies of all ages to get out there for golf month on the month of October and go have some fun out in the golf course. Right, our team, plenty to get our teeth into in the world of golf in terms of news and subject matter to have a bit of a chat about Joe and Gazelle. Gazelle, you've got a few things you want to bring to the table. Yeah, the Shot Clock Masters. I, I mentioned this uh, last week. It's actually the Austrian Open Golf Tournament, Joe. And uh, I love this. Yeah, they, they're going to bring it in next year. It's middle of next year. Uh, there'll be 50 seconds for the first player who gets to his – or the first player to play. Then the other players get 40 seconds from the time that – he plays. So this is a European Tour initiative. They did it at the Super Sixes in Perth uh, earlier this year, but it's the first time it's been used in a uh, stroke play tournament. What do you think about that? I think it's the greatest thing in the history of the world. One, They've one, actually renamed the tournament the Shot Clock Masters, so they're kind of making a, a big deal of it. So is there actually going to be a shot clock per yeah. hole? Like, so so the, it's like a like when the footballers are kicking for goal now, they've got the... I, the count yeah, now. so there's a, there's a person, a gentleman or a woman, walking around with the groups like with a leaderboard that, yeah, that brilliant. follows them around with a shot clock. Cool. Uh, and that players, my understanding is the players get two chances per round to call for extension All right. for another 40 seconds to, to double their time. If they've got a few issues they've got to sort out or whatever has popped up that they need to get their head around. So they get two chances through the round to, to call for an extension. But otherwise, you're on the clock and you dock the shot. If yes. you're outside the time. They're aiming for four-hour rounds for three balls. So that should be doable. Definitely um, doable. I love that idea. It's a great idea because one of the great frustrations, and this applies to golf at any level, is the speed of play. Mm. Unless you're out there on the course by yourself, the speed of play is often unbearable mm-hmm. and it puts a lot of people off the game. And that's the last thing we want to be doing is putting people off playing golf. It's a, mm. As we know, it's a great sport. It's a great hobby. Mm. And so many people get great enjoyment out of it. But if yeah. you're out there and you've got... Uh, you banked up 20 minutes before you get your next shot at, at a tee. It's a disaster. Yeah. yeah. Harold Varner, third, uh, the American player who won the Australian PGA last year. They've announced this week that he's coming back to defend. That's good news. They've got a pretty good field at the PGA this year. They've got Scotty is playing and uh, Sergio and Garcia. Harold Varner and Cameron Smith's going to play. So that's going to be a good event the week after the Emirates Australian Open. Now, I haven't kept track of Harold through the year. Has he gone no, after his PGA victory? I ha- haven't noticed him too much. Right. So yeah. hasn't catapulted him to start him just yet? Good player to watch, though. Good fun, a good fun guy as well. Now, Joe will like this one. 2023, the USGA has announced that they're taking the US Women's Open to Pebble Beach, the iconic uh, Pebble Beach. I think it's a, a really good thing that the Women's Open is going to great course. They've already been to Pinehurst number two a couple of years ago. They are a little bit behind the, uh, you know, behind the, the track, I suppose, because we've been doing it here at the Women's Australian Open for years. It's been at Royal Melbourne and Victoria, and then just in the last couple of years, or the last year, it was Royal Adelaide, for instance. So this is a, a trend. I mean, in, in the Women's British Open, they've been playing at St Andrews, Carnoustie, stuff like that. So maybe they're a bit late coming to the game. But it's going to be great to see the best women in the world play at that course with the great vistas of the Pacific. Yeah, no, no doubt. Absolutely sensational. And I think probably what made Pinehurst extra special was how it rolled in from the, the men's open as, as well. So yeah, in yeah, consecutive week weeks, that, that made it a little bit extra special. But Pebble Beach, sensational. Look forward to that. Uh, one more. I just spent a few people have been asking about Jared Lyle's uh, health and fitness and yep. st- state of health uh, half. Hazy and I both spent a bit of time with Jared during the week. He's been at home in Torquay. So he, he's been sort of in and out of Geelong Hospital. He's got the third bout of leukaemia, which everyone knows. Uh, so without going into too much detail, he's at home, he's happy, he's got his kids there with him and his wife, and uh, he's got further challenges ahead, but he's not doing too badly at the moment. Good to hear. He's still got that cheeky little sense of humour. <laughs> he certainly has. He's nice. a long way from back playing golf, but you know, and he's got a hard road ahead of him, uh, but he's taking it all in his stride pretty positively. Uh, nothing but admiration from the golfing fraternity for Jared from what he's been through and the way he's handled it, no mm-hmm. doubt about that. Joe, what do you got for us? There's a pretty significant document that's going to be released soon to all Victorian clubs that I thought I'd just, you know, start the conversation this morning. Are you teasing? Are you yeah, teasing the topic? There are, there, there are a few murmurs around. So people are aware of this document. If you aren't aware of it, it's called the Equal Opportunity in Golf document. It's been put together by Golf Victoria with the support of Golf Australia and the um, Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission. And it's... Right. Basically, a guide um, for club committees to consider how they will prevent discrimination moving forward. It's a really, really interesting read. Um, It will start the conversation at a a club level. It addresses, in terms of discrimination, we look at um, gender, race, religion. Specifically, it looks more so on on gender um, because, put bluntly, there are clubs out there that are 
breaking the Equal Opportunity Act in terms of playing rights and opportunities for senior leadership roles for, for women. So it's a really, really interesting opportunity yeah. for the for the um, the industry. Um, yeah, put put bluntly, there are a couple of clubs that are breaking the law, but optimistically, because I'm a very positive person, I see it as as an opportunity for the industry. Well, it's- I don't know. Don't want to flesh it out too much here because we'll have a longer conversation about it on Inside the Ropes in the coming weeks. But are they aware, or is it just things that've been done like this forever and things haven't changed? Exactly. There are some great clubs, particularly in regional areas. So Ballarat Golf Club is really onto this, aren't they? Ballarat Golf Club are already onto this. So they've got a task force that are actively um, looking at – well, actually, they have already um, opened up Saturday timesheets, which has traditionally been a um, men's competition day. So now that's open um, for men and women, um, about 220 spots. Traditionally, there were only 20 spots allocated for the women. Now it's open slather. And they're also um, actively sort of looking for women who might be interested in um, joining their, their boards and their, their committees in those leadership capacities. So that's really terrific to hear there. Without seeing this document that Golf Victoria have been putting together, um, they've got a, some great things in, in, in the pipeworks. And what about competition play? Because there's been a lot of talk in the last couple of years about professionals playing in things like pennant or board events. Now, in Victoria, yeah. for instance, uh, pros can now... I went to the pennant finals of Victorian uh, Metropolitan Pennant this year and uh, both sides had some pros in it and the amateurs played up against the pros and it was great. They obviously play off their own handicap. But what about club championships and stuff like that, Joe? Because a pro, generally speaking, can't play in a club championship. Can yeah, they? and can... again, that's a traditional... And is that Would that be considered discrimination against that person? It is something that clubs will have to consider and it is, in, is detailed in the report. Um, Mike Clayton is, is all over this one and yeah, essentially... As a member, they earn the right to um, partake in in club competitions. So that'll be a. Re- I'm really looking forward to this document being yeah. released. I'm so, going to bring it on in my role. I'm going to be working with clubs to make sure that um, you know constitutionally they support these sort of things. And um, I think it's really important that golf remains relevant. Absolutely. Um, otherwise, we're, we are in the 21st century now, and it's. Um, this is our time to um, Just jump with, on board. With Ballarat Half and Joe, they, the, the press release that they put out you know, a couple of months ago, they've had, in 125 years, they've only had four female board members. Uh, they've got 71 mm. junior boys on their list, players, yeah. and only nine junior girls. You know, So they, they've just looked at this and they've gone, hang on, hang on, we're doing, what's wrong here? There's something wrong. Yeah. Uh, so they're trying to do something about it, and this document is kind of adjunct, an adjunct to that. And even further to that, and if you, if you think purely coldly from a financial perspective you, you, you double your market if you expand your market and get some I, revenue exactly. into your golf club and how difficult that has been for golf I, clubs always, in recent times I've always said we, we talk about in golf about you know getting people and growing the game and getting more, more people to play the game the great upside is women potential upside because it's only uh, club members in Australia it's about 20% and it's, it's a bit too low well, we've seen a lot of sports be slow under this, and this, the AFL are the same. I mean, they're just tacked on the last couple of years. And but how, how much of a success has that been? Like, Huge. So you've got yeah. your And what it's done elite... for junior girls' footy exactly. is and unbelievable. It's massive. So it's, it's golf's turn now to, um, to jump on the train. <laughs> well, while we're there, and it's a slight side topic, but it's, it comes on the back of what Hazy said before about the, the news that uh, the Asia-Pacific Amateur mm-hmm. will be open, to, there'll be a women's edition as well, which, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, Considering the strength of women's golf in Asia, that is a no-brainer, isn't it? Why has that taken so long? Absolutely no-brainer. And that's where I think um, this equal opportunity document at club level is is one part of it. But I think as an industry, we also need to be con- continuing to improve the um, the elite end of the game. So that there's that end-to-end pathway for, for women and that we are signifying that equality at that end as well. So that's that was all, that's new, that was news to me yeah. when Hazy said that. So um, I'm thrilled with that. We're first with the latest here in Inside the Ropes. Don't you worry about that, Joe. <laughs> what, what, about, uh, what about this for an idea, a women's masters? Now, this is not my idea. It's been raised before. Women's masters at Augusta. Oh, yes. Mm. That would be entertaining. Mm. I, know, I think the PGA have they flirted with the idea earlier in the year with the um, – the events have slipped my mind, but it's one of the earlier events in the year that they were thinking about um, hosting an event with the men and women. I think that's fallen through the, the cracks now. Well, obviously, the Vic Open does that, and it, it's, it's, it's a, raging lot, success. a lot of uh, applause around the world, actually, for yeah, that. Yeah, like I'm, I'm still, and I think I say this every time I come in, I'm so surprised that we haven't seen more of that yeah, already. I'm with you. <laughs> like, yeah. It's almost old news now, the, yeah. the Vic Open and that, and that format. So I think club level, we're ticking that box, and that will take time for clubs to transition. And um, but I think also as an industry, 
we need to tackle it from the top end as well and lead by example. That's uh, more the the local domestic level, the international level, the elite level. We've got a big big week coming up. The HSBC Champions in Shanghai. We've got Adam, Jason, yeah. and Leash back in action there. The LPGA is in Malaysia, and you mentioned the Queensland Open um, Gazelle before. So it's a pretty yeah. busy week again for it's, some big names. There's plenty on. There's plenty on. Nine point seven five million they're playing for in. In Shanghai, wow. yeah, it's unbelievable. So, you know, on form, Leishman, you know, if he could jump up and win that, he'd be in the top ten. It'd be great to see Jason play well, uh, especially with him coming back to the Open soon. So, yeah. you know, there's plenty on. There's lots on. There's plenty on. There's Actually, the LPGA on. is sort of winding up to the mm. Tour Championship. So, we've got four Australians at the moment who are in in place to get into the Tour Championship, which I think there's in about three. Three more, two or three more events. Uh, so Min G's obviously in there. Sue O is still in position. Catherine, Catherine Kirk. Kirk's in there, and Sarah Jane Smith. They're all in with a chance of making that. We're looking forward to that, and of course, all that will be discussed and uh, dissected beautifully on Inside the Ropes in coming weeks. Team, it's it for us. We're done. Time has run out, but it's nice been great work, to be a part of your part of your world this afternoon. Today, it's uh, appreciate working with greatness. Thank you very much. Thanks, Half. Joe Charlton with us, Martin Gazelle. That is Inside the Ropes, edition 23, done and one. Hope you've had a great time. We'll be back again next week. Regular programming. Probably Andy Marr. Good luck with him.